It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rule book, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Susan Campbell, and this is The Big Rethink. On this show, we love to dive into how technology and creativity changes the way work gets done. Today, we're exploring just that, the intersectionality of technology and art. They're often perceived to be on opposite ends of the spectrum, when in reality, the two are working together more than ever before. Let's take a look back at some of our past episodes to discuss the partnership of art and tech and how the two are working hand in hand to revitalize creativity and inspire connection. Let's dive in. We'll begin with some fascinating insights from a discussion with my fellow hosts, Barry Ross and Dr. Merritt Moore, a quantum physicist and professional ballet dancer. Here, Merritt explains the mutually beneficial relationship of fusing art and analytics. I think there is a very poor belief that you're either, when you're born, a creative or very analytic, and then you're segregated, like you're forced down, you know, a certain path based on that analysis of yourself at like age three. Um, and I think it's an incredible shame because one, I found that in the lab, you know, the, the lessons in the, in the classroom were very boring and tedious, but when you're actually in the lab, like creativity, imagination is essential. It's necessary for the breakthroughs and to problem solve. Um, in the same way, as a dancer, I would say creativity is obviously important, but also that ability to be analytic and to view your training as an experiment. in both disciplines is admirable. In the same episode, Merritt explains some ways in which artificial intelligence and machine learning can keep dance, especially choreography, forward thinking, diving into some of her dream research projects. In your view, quickly, how can AI uh, or machine learning help dance and other forms of creative arts. I think you just gave a good example, but it's something that one example that really spoke to you um, either now or you think in the future, or, you know, a favorite event that the, uh, the two helped each other, I guess. I mean, there's a number of like research ideas that I would love to explore. Um, and I'm happy to share them because it's doubtful I'll ever have time to get to everything, but you know, like, one idea is choreography. I think that, you know, a lot of people say that the, you know, the audience for ballet has gone down and, and I agree because it's the same 
choreography, like people like surprise. People want to be like see things they haven't seen before. And the vocabulary for ballet is quite similar. And also the formations. It's like, you're either in a line, a diagonal line or a circle, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's a bit limited. Whereas my sister, um, who you've, you've interviewed, she was on a hip hop crew team right? and their formations are freaking brilliant, right? They're like up vertically in a pyramid and then down spread out like in a star. Like, it's just so fun and spontaneous. Um, but then of course you want that, style from ballet and then you want the intimacy from tango so one idea that i i love to explore is like you know fusing the different styles together um like in ai they have these things called gants like generative adversarial networks where you'd be like i want like 20 percent cloud 30 percent bird right. and like 50 percent water <laughs> you know it'll come up with a new image and i just thought it'd be a very cool thing choreographically you could be like i want 20 percent tango 40% hip hop like wow. 40% ballet and just see what it comes up with because i think right now as humans we're quite specialized in that one field like if you're the elite tango player you're not at you're not at the top of the game in the ballet world right um and if you're at the top of ballet you're definitely not at the top in the hip hop world right like it's it, it once you're at extreme at you're at the top level you have very little time um to do that but so just that type of thing, I think, would be super interesting and fun. It's fascinating to think how technology can solve some of the challenges the creative world is facing. In this case, the need for more diverse choreography. What a great episode. Now let's pivot to another art form, one where technology is playing an equally important role in certain challenges that the art industry faces, classical music. Here I talked with Ryan Haskins, music director and conductor of the Sioux City Symphony Orchestra and how technology is expanding the reach of the 200-year-old art form, especially over the past two years. A lot of us within the industry, a lot of orchestras on the, around the world, opera companies, theater companies, all had to ask this question. And we all answered it differently because we were all in different stages before the pandemic hit. Right. In Sioux City, we, you know, for several years before, we're, we're testing out the idea, exploring the ideas of bringing more technology into the performance space, and yet um, keeping our eye on what's most important. So not getting in the way of the tradition, not saying that this will replace that live performance aspect because there's no way it can. That electricity, that, that vibrancy of the performance, that washing over of sound when you're sitting in the hall cannot be replicated no matter how good the equipment is. Um, but through this technology, it is a way to bring in perhaps a new generation or just someone who never thought they had access to what was going on inside of these four walls. We have people in Iowa, and, and you know, it, it's not unique to Sioux City. It's I've heard the same story so many other places, but there are people who live within the city who don't even know what's going on, who were born in the city and don't even know about what's going on in, in, inside the building. That's a problem for me to figure out. You know, I always tell people the biggest challenge, wherever I am, whatever orchestra I'm working with, the biggest challenge is to get them through those big wooden doors at the front of the hall. Once they're in, they're going to experience something remarkable. 
but it's getting them to step foot in. And what this technology has allowed us to do is to put it out there and put it in their face and not only just let them experience a performance, but be in very unique um, scenarios where you're, you're up close and personal with the principal cellist or you're watching the harpist pluck the string and you watch the string vibrate close you know close up in 4k or the just the perspective from the stage looking out into the audience these kind of right. thoughts you you don't experience as an audience member so now we have this whole new world that has opened up that we even find regular symphony goers going to the concert and then going back and watching it and watching because it brings this whole other element to what they experience and love. I love Ryan's passion for the power of immersion in live music and how he's replicating that experience for virtual concert goers by using technology. Finally, we'll close with a great discussion on the unifying power of digital public art. I had a conversation with Carmen Zella, creative director and principal at Now Art, where we spoke about the importance of art in creating healthy and livable public spaces amid the smart city revolution. Finally, we close with a great discussion on the unifying power of digital public art. I had a conversation with Carmen Zella, creative director and principal at Now Art where we spoke about the importance of art in creating healthy and livable public spaces amid the smart city revolution. The evolution of smart cities and urban planning, you know, let's think about that for a second, because art is a real connection between the physical world and the emotional world. So as we're trying to utilize um, our urban planning, you know, to be more um, responsive to people, um, and track and, and, you know, be more efficient in, in many different ways. Um, we can't negate the importance of art and the art world because we saw it with, um, the lack of art that was, um, you know, through COVID, there was just this real, um, void, um, sure. And cutoff of, of art and, and how that impacted people on so many different levels. And so using technology in a framework of smart cities, um, I think is really important because art should have a seat at the table um, as a source of inspiration, but also um, a, a driver so that we don't, you know, create these um, urban landscapes that are just um, devoid of that emo emotional um, human um, experiences. During our conversation, Carmen went on to talk about a fascinating artistic restoration project she worked on and her important realization that effective restoration is dependent on embracing technology. You know, in terms of the integration and importance of art um, with technology, I was working on a project um, that was called the Triforium. We got a grant from the Gold Hirsch Foundation to help restore this project. It was by an artist named Joseph Young. He was given in 1975 
close to a million dollars for a piece that was meant to be Los Angeles's equivalent of the Eiffel Tower. So this artist created um, this monumental work, which was the very first polyphenoptic um, tower. So polyphenoptic is the the intersection of light and sound. Um, And the artist considered it to be the Rosetta Stone of art and technology. So what he created was um, a series of these bells and lights that were supposed to synchronize um, with music. So there was these lighting effects that as they were um, played on a synthesizer, a computer from 1975 basically would play through a speaker system built into the Triforium um, the sound, but also um, the analog, um, or, or sorry, the the um, images of light. So he, for like the the note D, he would have, you know, a certain sequence of lighting that would be realized. Anyways, the, the project, because of the computer's um, uh, technology, was antiquated, and there was a lot of problems with the computer, because the artist saw a vision of the future, and the technology really supported it. So when we went to go and restore the piece, we had a lot of conversations about, well, is restoration really the restoration of the computer, or is the restoration really being able to utilize new technology and realize the artist's vision of the piece in its entirety? And so we worked with the Joseph Young Foundation and his daughters to go through all of his writings and and very clearly understood from the artist that the technology was a way to enhance the vision. And this kind of goes back to um, what what Charles was was talking about, the very first digital artist, that, you know, art is not, you know, reliant on technology, but it, it should be a way to enhance the art. And so because we worked with, um, we have this new technology, we were able to realize the Triforium. And I think that's a really important lens to look at how art and technology can intersect so that they can be um, considerate of the artworks in a long-term scenario. I hope you enjoyed looking back at these conversations with people who are dedicated to keeping art alive and using technology as an important attribute in doing so. If you want to hear the full episodes, they are available on our website or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you listen on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Susan Campbell, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink.